Coast to coast, nonstop action. This is the premier source for National Hockey League news. Scores, highlights, and the Anaheim Ducks. It's time to light the lamp with Alexis Downey. Welcome to Light the Lamp here on Duck Stream. I am your host, Alexis Downey. It's so good to be back. It feels like it's been a while, but we are here today with a full episode for this week, episode number 92, right here in the Paul Korea studio. Today is the first official day of summer. June 21st is the date as I am recording this. It's also the summer solstice, which means it is the longest day of the year as far as daylight goes. Now it's been just over a week since the Stanley Cup was handed to the Vegas Golden Knights, the newest Stanley Cup champions. Just six years. They did it in just six years. Pretty incredible story and very cool for the city of Vegas. It only took them five games and they were also able to do it at home at T-Mobile Arena. If you watched the game, you could just feel the energy from that building. It was off the charts. Now, that game was on Tuesday, June 13th, and honestly, the whole thing was Vegas. You could tell from the beginning that they were going to win that game and the cup was going to be handed to them that night, really controlling the puck early in the game and limiting Florida's scoring chances. And I think ultimately that was just an issue for the Panthers through that final series. They could not capitalize and score goals like Vegas was able to. And you have to think that maybe the days off that they had, if you remember, they had 10 days before they began the final series that might've hurt them a little bit in the end, that extra bit of rest. And then of course we heard the long list of injuries that a lot of the Panthers players faced after the game ended. So looking more at this game, game five of the Stanley cup final Panthers goalie Sergei Bobrovsky had 23 saves on 31 shots. The Golden Knights had a total of nine goals in this game. A lot of goals. And they were coming pretty quick, especially in that second period. Mark Stone was the one to get the scoring going in the very beginning of the game for Vegas, netting the first goal of the game, 11:52 into that period. Dan Duva was on the call for it with Gary Lawless on Golden Knights Radio. Here's the first goal. Verhage is the player who's joined this top unit in the absence of Kachuk. Looks back door, finds his man, kicked away! An aggressive left kick saved by Hill. Challenging the left side of the crease, and the puck did not come on goal. Now it's in the neutral zone. Panthers carried back in, and Eric drop pass, gathered ahead, two on one. Stone with Stevenson, Stone stops, shoots, he scores! The double fist pump, the high five with White Cloud, the embrace with Stevenson, shorthanded goal. The captain, Mark Stone, gives Vegas a one nothing lead in game five of the Stanley Cup final. The first short-handed goal for the Knights this postseason. Mark Stone's ninth in his 22nd playoff game this year. The Knights turn the tables on the Panthers. The short-handed goal gets Vegas on top after Florida started the series with a short-handed goal. Mark Stone would go on to have a hat trick in the game, getting his third goal on an empty netter in the third period. And according to NHL public relations, Mark Stone became the first player in the NHL's modern era to serve as the first captain in franchise history and also captain the club to its first Stanley Cup win. Now Vegas kept it going after that first period, adding 
eight more goals in total, bringing the final score to nine to three, a big win over the Panthers. With the Panthers only scoring three goals, I felt like there was only one point in the game where it was pretty close overall, and that was early in the second period when Aaron Ekblad was able to cut Vegas's lead in half, making it a 2-1 game. But man, did the Golden Knights respond after that. Alec Martinez and Riley Smith netting two goals following Ekblad's. And I think that's where the momentum in the game really shifted and Vegas was able to take over. They ended up scoring four goals in the next nine and a half minutes following Ekblad's goal in that second period. But moving ahead to the third period, Florida did have a stronger period as they had 21 of their 35 shots on goal in that kind of desperation mode, I would say, overall. Two goals coming out of it, though. But I think some of it was the fact that they didn't have Matthew Kachuk in the lineup. He was their leader all through the playoffs. And without him, the team just was missing that spark. Let's listen to the final moments of the game as Dan Duva had the winning call for the new champions. The noble charge from Bill Foley was cut in six. They talk about dreaming. The Golden Knights are going to make that dream a reality. A devotion to destiny. Misfits to champions. The Vegas Golden Knights win the Stanley Cup in 2023. The first Stanley Cup championship in Golden Knights history comes in their sixth season. The Silver State is home to the greatest silver trophy in all of sports. The mob is behind Aiden Hill's goal. All the players swarming one another, jubilant in celebration. The fans on their feet can't stop. The streamers down from the rafters, sticks and gloves and flamingos. The Golden Knights are Stanley Cup champions. So I think one of my favorite things that I saw from the Stanley Cup night when it was awarded was a team photo that was taken on the ice when they all went on the ice, all the Golden Knights players, and surrounded Aiden Hill from the net. They were shaped in a heart. I mean, it was all over Twitter, so I'm sure you guys have seen it, and if you haven't, go check it out because it's just really special, kind of capturing how extraordinary winning the Stanley Cup really is. Jonathan Marcheseau was awarded the Conn Smythe Trophy as the playoff MVP for Vegas, and he was an original misfit, only six of those guys remaining on Vegas. So I thought that was really cool for him and the city. He finished the playoffs tied for first with 13 goals and second in points with 25. He was also the very first undrafted player since Wayne Gretzky in 1988 to win the Conn Smythe Trophy. So to recap, the rest of the Stanley Cup final from the first-hand experience, Johnny Lazarus joined us this week. He was a part of the entire Stanley Cup playoffs, working with the NHL's in-house show, Stanley Cup Central, and then following the final in both Florida and Vegas with Stanley Cup Live. He witnessed the cup raising in Vegas on the ice and has some incredible stories from the after party that night. Enjoy the interview. 
Let's welcome on to Light the Lamp now, NHL host and my friend, Johnny Lazarus. Johnny, now that you've been back from Vegas for a few days, have you recovered at all? No, I'm sure you'll hear it in my voice from time to time that I'm still <laughs> recovering from Vegas and Florida. But first of all, Alexis, I got to say, it is an honor to be on here with you. You are my day one, I feel like, <laughs> in NHL media. I remember going back, uh, you know, two years ago, I think we were setting up uh, Zoom calls in our parents' bedroom trying to talk <laughs> hockey. And, uh, you know, it's great to see where you are. And, um, you know, I'm really happy to be here. So thanks for having me on. Of course. Thank you so much for joining us on Duckstream. And I am just as proud of you as the feeling is very <laughs> mutual here. So, um, but the fact that this was your first Stanley Cup final, um, I want to go back a little bit. But what was the experience like for you? I mean... <laughs> Saying it's a dream come true might be like underwhelming. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, first Stanley Cup final, I get to go to Las Vegas for the first time in my life and uh, you know, then go to Fort Lauderdale in between. So, mm -hmm. you know, could be worse cities, I guess, to cover a Stanley Cup final in, right? I got a good tan going <laughs> and uh, you know, had a lot of fun out there. But um for me it was really just surreal. Like I've you know, I've been, you know, to a lot of cool hockey events. I've been to the winter classic, I've been to the frozen four, but the Stanley Cup final is, you know those two times a million. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's not only just with the hockey and with the entertainment of the game, but that's also with the spectacle around it, right? Like, you know, you're in Las Vegas, there's a marshmallow concert, a Steve Aoki concert. You're in Florida, there's a flow rata concert. Like there's, <laughs> you know, all these celebrities out and about. Um, it really is just like a who's who of the NHL, you know, and, mm -hmm. um, being in the mix with the people that I've grown up watching on TV and grown up listening to and grown up watching, um, and just having the, you know, genuine, conversation with them whether it's you know at the rink or at the bar or in the hotel like you know any, any kind of walk of life um i think to me that was the coolest thing of just getting to know these people that i've admired my whole life and now you know truly call them peers for the first time because you know i never really felt like i was uh belonging in the mix i think until this point and mm. um you know now that people I, I i guess know who i am it's a you know a really comforting feeling and you know i, I spent the last three years of my life truly just trying to <clears throat> there's the biggest voice truly trying to make it and, um, you know, make a name for myself and, and to finally have that feel like it's, you know, on the horizon is, um, is a pretty cool feeling. So you were hosting the NHL, the Stanley cup live show for the NHL's YouTube page at the Stanley cup. You had a lot of different guests on from hockey and entertainment and everything, but who was your favorite guest that you were able to talk to at the Stanley cup final? So it honestly goes to media day and it's Nick cousins. And I don't okay. know if you saw that clip. No, I didn't. Uh, the NHL, the NHL posted it on their Instagram, but Nick cousins showed up to talk to Alexa and I, Alexa Lannistoy, who is awesome, by the way, amazing co-host. And we're doing the draft together, but Nick cousins walks up to us during media day and it's a car wash. Players come in, players come out. And I look at his shoes and there's hockey laces in his shoes. Hmm. And I don't really know sneakers very well. And I didn't know if it was like a style or not, but I was like, we just take a look at what's going on in your shoes right now. Like you have laces. Like it looks like you just took the laces out of your skates and put them in your shoes. And he was like dying of laughter because someone pranked him like 20 minutes before <laughs> he had his shoelaces in his sweatshirt pocket. And it was just like, you know, I, I kind of felt like I was in a locker room again, just like talking to him. And, uh, you know, it was, it was really cool. Just like having that banter right off the bat. Like I'd never met him in my life. And, mm -hmm. you know, we were kind of just, uh, shooting the breeze, you know, for, uh, I won't swear on here. And, uh, you know, it was just, it was just super comforting and, um, he's a super personal guy and just being around the Panthers and seeing how loose they were before the Stanley Cup final, you know, obviously it didn't work out in their favor, but 
um, to have professional athletes on the biggest stage, still having fun, like their little kids like that to me was, uh, was the most fun. Going into the final, who was your pick between the Panthers and Golden Knights? So <laughs> my predictions were wrong only the entire playoffs. So I said, <laughs> uh, my brain, my brain says Golden Knights in seven, but my heart says Panthers in seven. Mm. Um, and to me, I think, you know, it, it was as an outsider, I think everyone can kind of agree with this. It was hard not to root for the Panthers. Mm-hmm. Um, I think their story was just so unique and, and so truly heartfelt and, uh, you know, for me, somewhat close to home, I have a lot of family in Florida and friends in Florida. So I was kind of rooting for them as well. But, uh, you know, Vegas, obviously hell of a story too, right? Like, you know, they've been so successful early on in their six years. And I, I think it's so great for, for hockey to have, uh, Vegas's first championship be a hockey team, especially the team that was actually created there. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I know the NFL is there now and the MLB is going there apparently, and I'm sure an NBA team will be there soon enough. And to have hockey be the first one, I think makes more of a, you know, Vegas feel like a hockey town when all those other sports come. So uh, I think both stories are great, but, you know, Vegas was the best team by a landslide. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I think it was pretty obvious they were going to win that, I think, after game three or game four. I was going to ask you that. Was there a turning point that you saw in the series that you knew it was going to be Vegas's? Um, or did I actually did uh, they kind of kind of huh? come into it? with that, okay, maybe Vegas is going to take this after game one, after watching game one. Funny enough, I actually tweeted in game three after Jonathan Marcheseau scored, I tweeted series over Marcheseau con Smythe. Mm. Obviously game three ends, Kachuk ties it up and Florida wins. And I immediately, you know, that's just how I operate, right? When I say the opposite happened within a matter of minutes. Um, but I do like to go back to that tweet now because it obviously, you know, panned out the way I said. Mm-hmm. But I, I think Vegas just they were just too much. And even in game three, Florida found a way to squeak by and win it. But they were not the better team in that game. Um, you know, they were lucky to come out with that win. I, I think even just watching Florida, um, you know, I thought they'd maybe steal one in game four on home ice with Bobrovsky and how well he played in game three. But anyone who watched game two, it was clear that Florida is just outmanned. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, game one, I don't think they were as bad as people thought, but game two was just a completely dominant performance, similar to game five uh, by the Golden Knights. And with Marcheseau getting the con Smythe this, for this final, what did you experience, see in, you know, him winning that? I mean, obviously you said you predicted it at that point, but was that at all a surprise? <laughs> Do you think Aiden Hill or Jack Eichel was also in that conversation? I predicted it at the very last possible point. What a prediction. Uh, <laughs> no, but I, I still do think Eichel was very deserving of it because mm-hmm. the Conn Smythe is a playoff MVP and it's someone who, you know, performs the entire playoffs. Not saying March so had a, a poor performance in round one, but Jack Eichel was really just so good throughout all four rounds. Mm-hmm. And you think back to the most important goal of the entire playoffs for the Vegas Golden Knights, and that's Game two, Jonathan Marcheseau down 2-1 against the Dallas Stars. Jack Eichel throws an incredible, like, behind-the-back pass from below the goal line. Marcheseau creeps in behind Ryan Suter, buries it to the top shelf, ties the game at 2-2. Vegas wins in overtime. They go back to Dallas up 2-0 instead of Dallas holding on to that lead and possibly tying the series at 1-1, going back on home ice. So that, to me, is the most important goal of the entire playoffs for Vegas because, you know, if Dallas goes back home 1-1, that series could have easily gone in Dallas' favor with how good Jake Ottinger was throughout the entire playoffs and the entire season. So, mm-hmm. you know, the fact that Eichel set up Marcheseau for that goal, you know, obviously Marcheseau has that clutch gene. He scored so many big goals, but it felt like it was Eichel setting him up almost every time. So, um, 
you know, I think Jack Eichel did a little bit of everything. He also, you know, he played physical, he won battles, he did little things, he won faceoffs. He did so many important things that um, somewhat go unnoticed. But for a star player like Eichel, who we're used to seeing, you know, have some highlight real goals, make some incredible passes, a beautiful skater. For him to do all those little things, uh, I was surprised that it wasn't him. But I, I still do think it's a, a better story for the original six, Jonathan March. So mm-hmm. to, you know, be here in all those six years and score all those clutch goals. Like you can't knock March. So I don't think right. March so wasn't deserving. Mm-hmm. Um, but to me, if you look at the playoffs overall, like I just thought Eichel was their best player. And this was also a really unique Stanley Cup final with the two locations that the games were in with the teams. What was the atmosphere like in Florida and then also in Vegas? Uh, on the ice or off the ice? Uh, both, <laughs> both. <laughs> so, I mean, that was my first time at both arenas. So I had high expectations for both, but mm-hmm. they both blew me out of the water. Um, Vegas is their whole pregame routine, the, the show and everything. I thought it was somewhat cringe when I've seen it on TV in the past, but when you're in the building, it is truly like incredible. I feel like I'm watching like Shrek as a horror film, uh, <laughs> if that makes sense, you know, but it's kind of firing you up in the same way. Mm-hmm. Like it's like that fairy tale yeah. like narrator, you know, I get what you're saying. And then, but all of a sudden you're like pumped up and ready to fight, you know? So, um, probably a terrible comparison, but <laughs> that's just like the vibe I got. Uh-huh. Um, you know, granted all the, the Mark Stone, Lord Farquaad comparisons too. So that's like fresh in my mind, but, uh, yeah, Vegas was unbelievable. The fans were incredible. I mean, they were outside. Like we made the joke on our show, Stanley cup live a ton, like, cause you know, fans are outside at two o'clock on a Tuesday. Does no one in Vegas have a job, you know, like, uh, <laughs> right. They're, they're packing it outside T-Mobile, you know, four hours before puck drop. And, uh, you know, they were ready to go. So Vegas was truly incredible, like outside, inside. Um, the arena was so loud in, in all the home games. Obviously, they won all three, so that helps. Mm-hmm. Um, and Florida really exceeded my expectations, too, because, you know, obviously Panther fans have, uh, you know, had somewhat of a negative history the past decade of not showing up when the team's not doing well. But they were loud, and they were rowdy, too. Like, during our show, we did Stanley Cup Live inside, and when the fans were let into the building, like we couldn't even hear the guests that we had on the show. Like I, I was, it was really hard to do that show inside because you couldn't really hear anything. Mm-hmm. Um, but the Panther fans were loud, man. Like actually my favorite moment hockey wise of the entire series was Kachuk's tying goal. Mm-hmm. Um, because you felt the buildup in the arena, Florida was peppering Aiden Hill in that last like two to three minutes. And you kind of had a feeling he was going to make an impact on the game somehow. And the roar that came from FLA live arena when he scored that goal, it was I felt like I was at a Ranger game, like cheering for the Rangers, you know, like my, I jumped up for joy, um, which I probably shouldn't be like rooting for a team, but it was hard not to mm-hmm. like, that's just how incredible the energy was. So, um, you know, kudos to both cities. I thought they both did a fantastic job, not only, you know, as far as fan bases go, but as far as entertainment goes. And, uh, yeah, no, it was, it was a blast and, and I'm so lucky to be able to go to both. After the series ended all of the long list of injuries came out for the Florida Panthers. And we found out really what some of those guys were going through. Do you think the series could have been a little bit different if they were healthy? I know that's kind of hard to just say a what if, but do you think it might've been a little different? I mean, you have to say yes, right. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, with how Florida competed the first three rounds, you could tell all that something was up. Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, I think like starting in game three, four or five, Games one and two, you know, they were pretty competitive. Game one, especially. Uh, Game two was a little bit more lackadaisical, I thought, just because their bodies were beaten up. And, um, you know, you hear these stories and, like, 
you know, I complain about being sore in the gym after like one day of working out and it's, <laughs> you, know, you kind of just like think to yourself, what, what these guys put themselves through is, you know, truly incredible. And there's, you know, not many other athletes on the planet like it. And obviously if Florida is healthier, you know, I think, you know, maybe they get more out of their top guys like Barkov or Kachuk or Montour, even Ekblad had a broken foot. Mm-hmm. Um, but then again, right. Like part of the battle of winning the Stanley cup is staying healthy. So, uh, you know, it's just part of the grind. And, um, you know, you think about what well, you think about the Carolina hurricanes, right? Like mm-hmm. they had so many injuries too. If they right. stay healthier, like right. who, who knows what happens there. Um, you know, like Rod Brindamore had the saying, like, I don't think we got swept, you know, obviously that picked up a little bit of traction on social media, mm-hmm. but you know, that was the closest four game sweep I've ever seen. That could have easily been four nothing Carolina. Um, so yeah, I mean, injuries are just a part of it, but obviously I think if, if Matthew Kachuk is healthier then you know, there's a, a more significant impact on the Panthers, but you know, that guy battled every single night. So he definitely did. So with Vegas winning the cup at home too, I mean, let's talk about that night being there, seeing the cup raise. And then I know that you were out with some of the celebrations as well, but walk me through that evening. So the team wins the cup. You got to go down on the ice, correct? Yeah. How Do you was have that? 10 minutes to talk about it? Uh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Go ahead. Share, share it. <laughs> well, being down on the ice was truly like, I mean, that's just like childhood dream come true. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, seeing guys emotion and actually, you know, funny enough, I, uh, randomly ran into my coach from junior. Uh, so I played for John LaFontaine, Pat's brother mm. for two years in Wichita Falls, Texas in the North American league. And his daughter is married to Teddy Bluger. And I had no idea. Um, so I saw him on the ice and we like locked eyes and like, I was like, what are you doing here? He's like, what are you doing here? And we had a huge hug because I haven't seen him in like eight years. Yeah. Um, and he was, you know, he had a huge impact on my career. So that was cool to see him. And, um, you know, just to be around the guys, like, you know, I was talking to Teddy Bluger a lot, obviously after I made that connection and, mm-hmm. you know, I went up to the guys that I had interviewed, uh, throughout the, the postseason, like Keegan Colasar. Um, you know, I talked to Brett Howden a little bit, um, and just like seeing their emotion and seeing their joy and happiness, like in that moment. Um, obviously you've seen that commercial where everyone's speechless and, and it's truly like what it's like, you know, mm-hmm. they don't really have much to say in the moment because it's everything you've dreamed of your entire life all coming together in one particular moment, um, which is kind of crazy to think about. Right. So, uh, being on the ice is awesome. Seeing the cup in person is just, it never gets old. I, I'm lucky enough to see it now like five times and, um, you're mesmerized by it every yep. time. So that was cool. And then I can go into the night after if you want me to just go right into it. Yeah, give a little bit of inside look into it because I know that on social media there was all the videos of the guys. It looked like the clubs in Vegas raising the cup, and even I think it was Aiden Hill that was sing- DJing or something at one yeah. of the clubs as well too. Uh, so yeah, were you yep. were you there for that? Oh yeah, Aiden <laughs> Hill is rapping Eminem uh, to the entire Omnia Club, which was pretty cool. And <laughs> I, lucky enough, uh, one of my good friends, Jeff Kotcher, put me in touch with. Uh, Robbie Gallagos, who works for the Tau Group in Vegas. So he like, you know, oversees all the clubs. And, mm. you know, obviously once it was like 5-1, I texted Robbie, hey, I'm Johnny Lazarus, friends with Jeff. Like, where's the cup going tonight? Can you help <laughs> me get in? Like, I'm just trying to follow this thing. And he was like, dude, I got you. It's going to be an Omni at one o'clock. Just show up there. I'll take care of the rest. So, That's you know, obviously awesome. that got me fired up. So uh, I ended up actually watching the rest of the game with Robbie. He came to meet me uh, in the concourse, second period, third period. And then he was on the ice as well. That guy is the mayor of Las Vegas. He's an unbelievable guy to know. And, uh, you know, sure enough, I'm on the ice with like the empty netters guys who are great. Like I got to hang out with them a ton. 
over the last two weeks. They do awesome work, Danny and Chris Powers. And uh, so I met up with them at this place, the Cosmo, which is like the uh, the meeting spot for everyone in the NHL, it seems. Like we were there with uh, a bunch of writers like Emily Kaplan and Greg Wyshynski mm-hmm. was there. Um, Dennis Bernstein, David Pagnotta, uh, you know, all the fourth period guys were there. Earth, um, and you know, come 12, 30, 12, 45, I'm like, all right, let's, let's make our way to Omnia. Like the cup's going to be there. So, uh, we walk over to Caesar's palace where the Omnia is and, you know, see Robbie cut the line, 10 dudes, worst possible ratio to go into a club <laughs> in Vegas. But Robbie's like, come on man, I got you guys. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, we're standing at the bar, I think like 30, 40 minutes goes by. We see a table right next to Steve Aoki, who's performing at the club. And at that table is Henrik Lundqvist, Paul Bissonnette, Ryan Whitney, Pasha, uh, Kevin Connolly, um, you know, all these people that, you know, are in the hockey world right. that you can think of. Um, and we're like, you know, I don't, I don't think we're getting in, guys. Like, I don't know if we're going to get close enough to the to the stage. Like, what do we do here? Oh, and I met, I forgot to mention Chris Stremski, who's a good friend of mine. Jazz, the TNT researcher, was with me. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, Jazz, you got to get us into that table. Like, we got to get closer. <laughs> so Jazz walks up to Biz. Within two seconds, Biz looks at us, waves us over. We start climbing couches. We get in. <laughs> and next thing we know, like 10 minutes later, there come the cup. Or there comes the cup. Um, you know, Mark Stone walks it in. Steve Aoki says, everyone look at the back. It's your 2023 Stanley Cup champion, Vegas Golden Knights. Place goes nuts. <laughs> Confetti comes down. And, uh, you know, they have a table in the back. And probably like 15 minutes after that, they all start making their way up to the stage to Steve Aoki. I'm like right next to Steve Aoki. I'm like within, you know, reaching distance of them. And they get on the stage. They start lifting the cup. And, you know, honestly, they're all being pretty careful because at this point, they're all pretty drunk. And they're standing mm-hmm. on a stage with, a, you know, mosh pit of people in front of them lifting the cup, which is 37 pounds. You don't want to fall over because, you know, that yeah, God right. knows that's going anywhere. Um, <laughs> the cup's been dented enough. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So, you know, that was truly incredible. But for me, my favorite part of that night, you know, I, I wanted to go home like three separate times. I was pretty exhausted. Honestly, it's a long mm-hmm. day. But. Uh, uh, Mikey Grinnell, the producer of Spin Chicklets, wasn't there yet. He had gone back to his room and took a nap for like three hours, like an idiot, and <laughs> missed this whole party. So, so he's texting us like, "I'm coming, I'm coming! Like, don't leave without me, don't leave without me." So he shows up. We stay for like an extra half an hour. This is three thirty in the morning now mm-hmm. at this point. And sorry for rambling on. I'm just trying to give you everything. Um, I love it. Yeah. So, <laughs> so she's there for like thirty minutes. Now it's four a.m. We're leaving. Night's over. We're done. Right. Like. All right, guys, we partied with the cup. That was awesome. What a blast. As we're walking out Omnia, we run into Jack Eichel, Keegan Kolasar, and Nick Hague. And they're like, all right, where, where are we going next? We got to keep this party going. Like, we're not going to sleep. <laughs> so obviously, you know, the five of us are like, all right, like, I guess we'll go too. We'll follow them wherever they go. <laughs> mm-hmm. And Jack, like, you know, under his breath was like, we're going to McMullins. And we're like, what the hell is McMullins? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we look it up. It's two and a half miles off the strip, this dive bar, like random Irish bar and some like shopping center that, you know, has nothing around it. So we pull up there, we walk in, there's four people there, like the entire bar, four mm-hmm. people. It's the five of us, those four people. We wait 10 minutes. We have one beer. We're like, like all right, guys, this is not going to happen. Let's just have one friend beer and call it a night. We'll head out. Mm-hmm. We order the beer, probably have like two sips Hear the door behind us. Who's walking in? Jack Eichel, Keegan Colasar, Nick Hague, and, and a bunch of their buddies and girlfriends and and whatnot. And we're like, all right, night's back on. So, <laughs> you know, we got to hang out and talk to them in like that intimate setting, you mm-hmm. know, for like another two. Like we were with Jack Eichel till 6 a.m. at that bar. And wow. that was 
to me what I'll take away forever. Just, you know, kind of asking him like off the record questions, like true, just like genuine conversation, no phones out, no cameras out, mm-hmm. like just, you know, I, I guess dudes being dudes for lack of a better term, you know, and, uh, and, and that's what I'll, what I'll always remember for sure. That was the best part of the night. And what a special run for him. I mean, to get to his very first playoffs and then to go and win the Stanley Cup, you can imagine that he was very emotional throughout that whole playoff run and that night, I'm sure, too. Yeah, and, you know, by that time, he had been sobering up a little bit. Uh, you know, <laughs> we were uh, uh, kind of winding down the night. We had a couple burgers and fries. You know, we weren't really doing much drinking, but, um, you know, he was really, like, genuine and, mm. and uh you, you could sense just how he was coming to terms with what he had gone through mm-hmm. um you know to not make the playoffs in your first you know nine or so seasons or eight seasons and then to get there for the first time and win it um you know what an incredible journey for him and uh you know just seeing him talk about it and and i think having that sense of relief you know because not mm-hmm. every player gets one mm-hmm. and you know, that's something he can hang his hat on forever. So, um, you know, that was super cool seeing him in that, uh, you know, vulnerable moment. Mm -hmm. Well, it sounds like it was an absolutely incredible evening. And I know that for Vegas, their party continued over the weekend as they had their parade. And if you haven't seen the videos on social media, you have to go see them because they are something I'm sure you were able to catch some of them over the weekend as well, too. Oh yeah. William Carlson. Like what a personality that guy is. Huh? I mean, I can watch that guy talking to a microphone for hours. <laughs> really good for the NHL. I love when you see oh, yeah. NHL players, personalities and definitely the, the perfect setting for it as well too. Oh yeah. His Conathan Smythuso line. That was unbelievable. I love that. That was so good. Well, Johnny, you're going to be at the NHL draft. You also mentioned, so that is next week. It's hard to believe that's coming up so quickly already too. And the ducks will have the number two pick in that, and we will be there as well. So I'm really excited to catch up with you there and uh, see what Nashville has to offer. You might need to get some sleep before that. (laughs) I don't know. I'm just going to keep riding this wave, but yeah, I'm super (laughs) excited for the draft and you know, it appears that Nashville will probably be taking Adam Fantilli, who we had the chance to talk to for the Stanley Cup Live. And he was an awesome kid, too. A lot of personality and a hell of a player. So uh, if he ends up going to the Ducks, that's going to be quite the pick and quite the pickup. Um, but he's an awesome guy. So will you have your NHL show when you're at the draft or what will you be doing? Yeah, we'll be doing a draft show. Uh, I'm still unsure what the title for the show is, mm-hmm. but I believe we'll be talking to the top 10 picks, um, you know, on like a couch you know, kind of a chill vibe, um, after they're taken by their respective teams. So, mm-hmm. uh, that'll be pretty fun to talk to those guys right after the you know coolest moment of their lives. So I'm really excited to, uh, to have that opportunity. Well, really excited to see you there and really awesome to have you on the show today, talking about your whole Stanley cup experience and everything. Um, thank you so much for joining us on duck stream, Johnny. Thanks Alexis. Appreciate it. You're the best. See you in Nashville. <laughs> see you in Nashville. I just love that story about Jack Eichel. And he was someone that I was really happy to see win the Stanley Cup, his very first playoffs, and he wins the Cup. The journey that he's been through to get to that moment, I mean, from being in Buffalo, having that injury, and then going to Vegas and pretty much getting a fresh start, I think he is very deserving of this Stanley Cup. 
A couple other things that came out after the Stanley Cup ended an incredible story about Alex Petrangelo from NHL.com's Mike Zeisberger. Petrangelo almost left hockey this year when his four-year-old daughter was suffering from an illness. Really an incredible story. You have to go check it out on NHL.com. But then when you look on the other side for the Florida Panthers, I was just really impressed in the post game on how Paul Maurice handled the interview. Really enjoyed this one with Jackie Redman on the broadcast. You could just see the raw emotion that Maurice was feeling and how much he really cares for the guys in the locker room as the head coach of that team. They've been through a lot this season. And it's not always that you get to see that kind of emotion from an NHL coach. So Props to Jackie for that incredible interview. And so that's it for the 2022-23 NHL season. What's next? Well, the NHL draft is just a week away with round one on Wednesday, June 28th, exactly one week from today from this recording, and then rounds two through seven on Thursday, June 29th, taking place at Bridgestone Arena in Nashville. I am so excited for this draft. It will be my very first draft, and we're going to have the whole crew there. Myself and Kent French will be covering all of the rounds of the draft live with Duckstream. And like I've mentioned, it's just an exciting time for the Ducks organization. Although we don't have that number one pick coming in at number two, this is a deep draft. So looking at the amount of picks that the Ducks have, I want to go through each of the rounds as of today. Now, remember, these could change depending on if there's trades or movements during the draft. But as of right now, the Ducks have a first round pick, that being the second overall pick. In the second round, they will choose 33rd, which is the first spot in the second round. So kind of like a first round pick, essentially. And then they'll also pick 59th and 60th in that second round. Moving to the third round, it will be 65 and 85 Round four will be 97. Round five will be 129. Round six will be 161. And then as of right now, the Ducks have no picks in the seventh round. With the draft coming up, it was very fitting that we have someone who's also going to be at the draft in Nashville. Pete Blackburn joined us today on the show to talk about what's ahead in Nashville for the draft, as well as recap the rest of the Stanley Cup final and some of his thoughts on how the year played out. Take a listen. Joining Light the Lamp now back again is Bally Sports, Pete Blackburn. Pete, great to have you back on. How's your summer been going? It's been uh, it's in the early stages, but it's going pretty good so far. No complaints. Happy to be uh, a little free of hockey <laughs> as much as I love it. It's always great this time of year to be mm. like, OK, I can breathe. Yeah. And with that Stanley Cup final wrapping up Vegas winning the cup, I mean, what was your overall impression of how this year's playoffs and then final went? I mean, like, I don't want to be a party pooper, but I felt like the, the playoffs kind of stunk this year. Like mm. not I mean, like I, I, I'll always enjoy them and I'm always glad that there are they're around but after I feel like after the first round the the quality of like entertainment kind of consistently dipped I mean round two you had a ton of blowouts uh round three the both teams went up three nothing and then the Stanley Cup final wasn't all that competitive so you know it's it was a bit of a bummer and then like you know also on top of the fact I'm a Bruins fan so round <laughs> wasn't one wasn't exactly the best time for me either so you know, I'm, I'm hoping that that next year will deliver a little bit more than this year. Were you surprised by 
we'll say the kind of lack of competition at some points in the final with Florida? Um, a little bit. Yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. like it's, it's one of those cases where like you knew that Florida was riding an unsustainable hot streak into the final. Um, like I think they'd won 11 of 12 games heading into, into the Stanley cup final. Like you knew that wasn't going to continue, especially after a, a pretty substantial break in between the conference final and the Stanley cup final. Like there was right. an opportunity for them to go cold, but I, I, I was surprised that it was as one sided as it was, but like, you know, with hindsight being 2020, you can understand it working out the way that it did. Like Vegas is just so much better of a de- defensive team. Their defensive structure is awesome. Aiden Hill was great. So with those things in mind, like those are, you need goaltending and you need good defensive structure to be able to win a Stanley cup. And, uh, you know, Florida kind of lost themselves defensively and Sergey Bobrovsky wasn't quite as great as he was during the first two and a half rounds. So, uh, that, that kind of, with that in mind, you're like, okay, it makes sense that it was so mm-hmm. one-sided. And I think it was interesting too seeing the reactions on social media from hockey fans in general about Vegas winning the cup. And there was definitely some bitterness from fans, you know, seeing that Vegas has won the cup so early in their franchise as well. Yeah. I mean, I don't care about that stuff, especially <laughs> considering that like from day one, Vegas was so supportive of the golden Knights. And, and mm-hmm. I certainly think that it helps that it was the first pro sports team to hit the city. So like they were very amped about it. And but that that never wavered. And yeah, of course, it, it helps with that. The team has always been competitive, especially you know going to the Stanley Cup final in that first season. Mm-hmm. But they show up at practices like open practices. They are they're They fill that building. The building atmosphere is awesome. So like they're as deserving as any other fan base in my mind, because they c- consistently show up and the team has consistently put forth a really strong and aggressive effort to remain competitive. They said like, we're going to win the Stanley cup in the first six years mm-hmm. and to do it. That's insane. Congratulations <laughs> to them. Like, I'm not going to hate on that at all. And they had quite the parade to follow up with that too, especially oh, for man. William Carlson. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, if you, you want to talk about like the hype that goes into the first pro sports parade down the Las Vegas strip. The, the fact that they not only met expectations, but smashed them out of the park with, with how that went. Uh, it's it's very awesome that that was able to deliver in the way that we had hoped. And I mean, I love too that they they were like, okay, we're gonna do a parade at seven p.m. on a mm-hmm. Saturday. Like you're kind of asking for it there, and, <laughs> right? And, uh, like they they really lean into it, and I, I, that's one of the things that I've always loved about the Golden Knights is that they really lean into, hey, we're a team from Vegas. We're all about the show, mm-hmm. and they've they've made it. They've made true on that promise and like that commitment the entire way through. They're a great showmanship team. So when you look at now next season, it's kind of crazy because they already have the Colorado avalanche as the favorites for next season. And I think it surprises me a bit after seeing, you know, how your Bruins did this year as well too. But what do you think about the Avs being the favorites for next year? It, it, it makes sense. Like you, you think about how, how much like bad luck the abs had this mm-hmm. year in terms of injuries and, and, and all that. And like, you can say the Stanley cup fatigue or whatever, but like they were just injured all year long. And I think that most of us were expecting them to find a different switch when the playoffs came around. And obviously that didn't happen. They still had some, some bad luck with injuries and they ran into a hot team. Um, but like they, they still have 
a ton of talent. Mm -hmm. They still have like the Stanley cup pedigree. And if they're a hundred percent healthy, they're as good as any team in the league. So I don't have any problem with them being listed as the favorites. And like, even as a Bruins fan, you look at this season and I think most Bruins fans will tell you the, the, this team is not going to look the same as they did this year, both from a roster standpoint and from the, the results on the ice. Like th that was kind of, felt like lightning in a bottle in a little bit of a way. And I think mm -hmm. there's going to be some serious regression when it comes to Boston. So, uh, you know, no problem with Vegas or, uh, with Colorado being number one off the top. Well, with the finals over the next up event is the NHL draft. And I know you will be there in Nashville as well. I mean, what better place could they be holding the draft? Honestly, I'm very, very <laughs> excited. My first draft was last year in Montreal and I had a great time and, and it was, you know, a great city. Um, but having been to Nashville like three or four times in the past, the arena being right on Broadway and like the party scene on lower Broadway, it's going to be awesome. It's going to be great. And like the draft is always one of my, you know, it's, it's one of my favorite events just on the calendar because it's all 32 teams there. It's, you know, there's so much hope and excitement for all 32 teams, regardless of where you're picking. Like there's just so much. It's like last day of school vibes, but it's also kind of like first day of school vibes because mm -hmm. you're setting the table for the future as well. So it's just like a very positive atmosphere and everybody's having a good time. And, and uh, you know, to add to that, like the, the party atmosphere on, on Nash in Nashville, it's going to be amazing. When you think about it, are there any other locations that you think the NHL should hold the draft? I mean, obviously, once we get through Nashville, just thinking ahead a little bit. I mean, Vegas would be a fun one. Yeah. Like <laughs> Vegas is great. Uh, I did the expansion draft in Vegas and that was a good time, but like not quite the same as like the, the NHL draft, mm -hmm. I suppose. Um, you know, I, I think that it's just like anywhere where you, you kind of concentrate all the action, it's going to be a fun time because you get everybody in tight 32 teams, 32 fan bases, 32 media, media, uh, conglomerates or whatever, mm -hmm. like just get everybody in the hockey community in one tight space and we're all going to have a good time. So, uh, you know, in plus Vegas knows how to put on a show, like I said. Mm -hmm. So, uh, I'm excited for Nashville cause they also know how to put on a show, but Vegas would be the, the, the one behind that. I think for me, well, unfortunately for Anaheim, the Chicago Blackhawks did win the draft lottery. They'll be picking first, very likely Connor Bedard. I mean, there's been just so much hype around him for good reason too, but have you been able to watch him at all and just maybe what he could potentially bring to the next level? Talking about Bedard? Yes. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I've, I've seen, I've seen quite a bit of, of game tape, you know, not like full game action. Mm -hmm. So I don't have a full scope, but like I, I've watched some tape on him and I mean, he is what everybody hyped him up to be. And it's, it's, it's insane. Like he's the best <laughs> prospect that we've seen since Connor McDavid. And I remember the Connor McDavid draft year and seeing the highlights of him being like, Holy crap. Like this kid is playing on a different plane than everybody else. And he's been able to continue that obviously into the NHL where you're like, this guy's playing a different sport mm -hmm. and playing at a different speed than everybody else. So like, that makes me really excited for the future of Bedard. Like he is a, he is like a, a all tool player. He knows how to do everything. Well, he obviously has the skill, but like beyond, you, beyond skill, you have to be able to think the game at the speed at which you play. Like, and that, that's sort of like why McDavid is, is so good is like, not only is he extremely fast and extremely skilled, but he, he thinks the game like two steps ahead of everybody else. And 
that you have to have that. And Bedard has that. He doesn't necessarily have like the size, like mm-hmm. the, he's a little bit undersized and that is maybe the big knock, but like even during the, the combine, you see like how built he is. He's yeah. kind of like a freak <laughs> in the gym. So I I'm not super worried about his size, especially when he has shown that he has every other element to his game. I don't know if we're going to get to this, but like, you can't be like that upset as a Ducks fan because right. Bedard's amazing, but like 99% chance to take Adam Fantilli and then any other year Fantilli would be a slam dunk number one pick. So you're also getting a <laughs> potential franchise changing player in Fantilli. Yeah. I was going to ask you your perspective of, you know, that being at that number two spot for the ducks and the talent that's still available because it is such a top heavy draft. It's, mm-hmm. but it's also deep in some aspects too, but especially on that top end. Yeah. I can't remember a, another year where there is like a generational prospect, but also like four, three or four guys that everybody is saying, you know, if this weren't a generational year, this guy would have a really strong case of being the number one pick. And, uh, you know, to say like Fantilli is a clear number two in my mind, because like even six months ago before the world junior championships, there was a debate like, is Bedard going to be the number one pick mm-hmm. or can Fantilli challenge him? And knowing what we know about Bedard and how hyped he is and sort of the generational prospect that he is, the fact that Fantilli was even able to, to challenge that status ahead of the the world junior championship. And it's not like Fantilli fell out of that, that conversation. It was the, just that Bedard elevated himself to really be like, okay, there's no longer a question. So Fantilli, I, I wouldn't be surprised if Fantilli had a better rookie year than Connor Bedard, just because mm. I think that he seems a little bit more NHL ready in terms of like his size, his bulk, like he's a power forward. He plays really physical and he has, he plays with like this fearlessness that really kind of you need at the NHL level. Not that Bedard doesn't, but I think that Fantilli is more equipped right off the bat to 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 use it. And like he he's sort of like a guy that reminds me of a Matthew Kachuk, where like there is the skill and mm-hmm. there is like the the brain and you know all the things that you look for for in a superstar. But he's also kind of got that unicorn aspect to him, where he is he has that edge and he has that tenacity. That makes you kind of a really coveted player, especially in today's NHL where power forwards aren't necessarily like a dime a dozen. You know, that's a good comparison too with Kachuk because I was watching an interview of him at the Combine. I think it was at the Combine or it might have been on NHL Network during the Stanley Cup final. And he mentioned how he really likes Matthew Kachuk and he's one of the players that he likes to watch in the NHL. Yeah. And you can tell, like he, he likes, he likes getting his nose dirty. He likes, he likes grinding it out as much as he does like, like skilling it up. And when you get those things in the same package and you get a very smart 200 foot player, that's another thing. Like Fantilli is a very good two way player and he's done it at the, the NCAA level as a true freshman. He averaged like almost two points a game. He's going to translate into a very, very good NHL player. And there's always going to be a place for a player like that in the game. And his ceiling is obviously extremely high, but I think that his floor is also very high as well. 
Another name that's going to be as a, a part of this draft is the Russian player, Matvey Michkov. And it seems like there's just a lot of questions, obviously, around him with his contract in Russia with the KHL. But do you think that a team should take a chance on him? Yeah, I mean, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> if, it, if it weren't for like the contract situation with the KHL and also kind of the block that's been in the way of scouting, uh, you know, Russian players mm -hmm. with, you know, what's going on over there between Russia and Ukraine, like uh, it, in different circumstances, I, I think that he would be a lot closer to the top of, a, of many teams boards. I think there's just like a lot of hesitation, not only with, with the lack of scouting, but also, you know, he hasn't really made himself ready, readily available for interviews and, you know, doesn't seem to really be playing the game. But from everything that I've heard from scouts is that like, this is the best Russian prospect that we've probably seen since Alexander Ovechkin. And there's a lot of, there's a lot of comparables there in terms of just like his pure scoring ability on the wing. And like, if you can go out and get an Alexander Ovechkin type prospect at, at like five, six, if he's still there and it ends up working out, like that is going to be considered one of the biggest steals in recent memory. So I don't know how far he's going to slip down in the draft, if at all, because of everything that's going on surrounding him. But, you know, if he does, there's a very good chance that he ends up making a lot of teams look foolish. Mm -hmm. Now, another international player is Leo Carlson in, from Sweden. I don't know how much you've watched of him, but he has been a name that I've heard that's kind of similar level with Adam Fantilli as well too, but do you have any thoughts on Carlson? Yeah. I mean, the, the, the big three, it seems is mm -hmm. like Bedard Fantilli and Carlson. And I think there's maybe a little bit of a step down from Fantilli to Carlson, but like, you know, that's, that's not necessarily like a, a big insult considering what Fantilli is. They're, they're kind of similar players in that uh, Carlson also kind of has that size and that edge and like, He's a very, very good defensive player, and he may not be as like outrageously high end skilled as a Fantilli or a Bedard uh, from what I've heard. But like he still does have high end skill and he is like maybe the best defensive uh, forward of the three. So, again, like to be a very responsible player uh, and a very skilled player and not to mention the fact that like. He played with grown men mm -hmm. in uh, in the 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 SHL and like impressed. And so to do right. that as a 17 year old, that says a lot about how uh, about how ready you are for the NHL and how how smart you are in being able to compete with like guys way older than you and above your 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 age class. So, um, you know, at, at number three. If if that's where he goes or if he goes at number four or something like that, like that's as good a consolation prize, I think, as you could hope for in that spot. Well, Pete, we will see you in Nashville at the draft. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Always a pleasure. Looking forward to seeing you there. It's time for my final quack for this episode, where I share my last thoughts before the end of the show. Remember, next week will be a special show as we will be live in Nashville at the NHL Draft. Myself and Kent French will have all the action for you live. We'll get to talk to any of the draft picks that are actually at the draft. They will join us on DuckStream. A lot will be packed into those shows, so you are not going to want to miss it. 
Thank you for listening to Light the Lamp. I am Alexis Downey. Come back again for some hockey talk in Hockey Town on Duckstream next week. <laughs> this is an Anaheim Ducks original production on Duckstream.